0: Welcome to a new episode of Front and Happy Hour podcast. We are on episode 188 and have not done a dedicated episode on WordPress. I am amazed I can't believe we haven't done this. So, I'm really excited to actually dive into it. I've spent a lot of years throughout my career uh building on WordPress, uh you know, building websites, applications, themes, plugins, whatever it be, but it has been many years since I've touched it. And so in this episode, we are joined by Jason to help us talk through insights about WP GraphQL. And so we're going to learn more about the APIs around WordPress. um, And yeah, that'll be a fun topic to dive into. Jason, uh, do you want to give an introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is?
1: Man, yeah. Uh, My name is Jason Ball, Um, creator, maintainer of WP GraphQL, which is a free open source WordPress plugin that provides GraphQL API for WordPress. Um, I'm principal engineer at uh, WP Engine um, where I work on open source software, Um, primarily WP GraphQL, but we have other open source projects I help with, like a front end for uh, a Next-based framework called Faust.js. So I help a little bit with that and then maintain some extension plugins for WP GraphQL, like WP GraphQL for advanced custom fields, for example. But, uh, and then my favorite happy hour, I don't drink alcohol, so I'll go with the uh, Dr. Pepper. This, uh, that'd be my favorite, uh, beverage. So
0: right on. I mean, that's the thing too, is like, I feel like more and more people aren't drinking alcohol. So it's like, this is good. Like, um, so having various beverages of choice is great. All right. Well, we only have Cole and myself, uh, but Cole, do you want to give an introduction?
2: Hey everyone, my name is Cole Turner. I'm a software engineer at Netflix, and I've had a few encounters with WordPress when I was in college.
0: Nice, yeah, it's a great platform, so I'm excited for that. Uh, And I'm your host, Ryan Burgess. This episode is sponsored by our friends at porkbun.com. It's named the number one domain registrar by USA Today. Porkbun is an excellent domain registrar for tech professionals offering domain extensions like .app, .dev and .foo. Best part is you get the great pricing, only $1 for the first year for .app, .dev and .foo domains, which if you're like me, if you like to register a domain for every great idea you have, Porkbun can help with that. Free with every domain, you get who is privacy, SSL certificates, web and email hosting trials, and more. Why pay for things you don't need and should get for free? Backed by professionalized five-star support, 365 days a year, Porkbun has a simple user interface. You can manage everything about your new domain from one place. Get .app, .dev, or .food domains at Porkbun for only $1 for the first year. Well, let's dive into WordPress. Maybe let's start, actually. Like, I was going to start and say, like, what's WP GraphQL, which we should get to. But even let's get a baseline of, like, if someone hasn't used WordPress, like the three of us have, which is awesome. What is WordPress? Like, how do we even define that? Let's start there.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, WordPress is a content management system. So it's a it's a web-based application, right? It's uh, where users can log into it and they can publish content. It powers somewhere in 45-ish percent of the web right now. So pretty much any, there's a good chance on a daily basis you're visiting a site that is powered by WordPress. Um, Some of the top sites, you know, publishing sites uh, like NASA actually just relaunched on WordPress like NASA uh, and their science website, um, things like that. So uh, yeah, it's a a open source CMS so developers can download it and extend it and write code to do whatever they want. There's a massive plugin ecosystem for it. um, So you can kind of turn it into whatever you need it to be for your project. Um, but yeah, it's all web-based and yeah, let's users write content and publish it to the web.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a big thing too, what you hit on is like the plugins. It's a, it's extendable. You can write themes, you can download themes, you can download plugins, integrate it, write your own. I think that's, what's been so powerful with it. It just gives a lot of uh, flexibility for people to do what they want with it. Yeah. So it's it has, I'm surprised. I didn't realize how much of the web is taken over by WordPress. I mean, I'm not surprised, but like didn't really realize how much uh, is being used by WordPress. Um, but I have seen it, leverage for so many things even just there's things that i've had to do with it over the years that i didn't even think possible like it was like why are we extending wordpress so hard Um, (laughs) but it's it's cool to see what you can do with it on that
2: note i guess let's say it's me and i haven't used wordpress in a while what is what are some typical use cases for a developer to choose wordpress over
1: something else yeah so i think i think access is a big one it's first off it's free Right. So if you if you have limited resources or whatever, like you can just go download it and start using it. It's very like we talked about, there's a massive plugin ecosystem, so you can extend it to do almost anything you can imagine like it can do. Is it necessarily the best job? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But like it can do it almost certainly. So access is a big one. Uh, Cost is a big one. they say it's free like a dog, right? Like you, you get a dog given to you, but there is cost associated with it still. So it's not like, it's not like truly free, but like the software itself is, you can start prototyping with it with, with no cost to get started. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think those are some big ones is the access to it and, and the limited, you know, reduced cost of getting started with it. So that's a that's a big thing. Um, and then yeah, like 40 something percent of the web is, is using it. So there's lots of examples out there of like, Oh, I want to accomplish this. Can it be done on WordPress? Well, here's an example. Yeah, of course it can. So uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been around for years too. Like the adoption is high. It's, it's grown significantly in, you know, bettering, making it a lot easier for people to leverage. You can have it hosted for you. Like a lot of hosting platforms have it available for you. Obviously WordPress itself is available to just have it online and leverage that, but you can also host it yourself. You can move it, migrate it wherever you want to put it, um, which is pretty cool too. And really
1: flexible. Yep. I would say the community and documentation is huge too, right? Like, so if you do feel like you're stuck, like if you're, if you're working on some custom application for a company and they're the only company running that software If you get stuck, it can be hard to get out of that, right? Um, But with WordPress, it's high chance somebody else has run into the same situation you've encountered and can help you, right? So the community and documentation is massive. I feel like it's one of the most documented pieces of software out there, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Both good and bad, because there's outdated docs, too, and can kind of send you down the wrong trail sometimes, too. Or there's, you know, bad docs or whatever. But it is very highly documented if you're searching for something you're going to find somebody else who's written about it. So that's that's a positive, I think. I love that because
2: uh, I think about where I started in my career. I did a lot of WordPress very early on because of exactly what you're saying, Jason, where if you're running into use cases you've never built before, Uh, they could be old they could be new they could be all over the place but it's good to have options and it's good to have other people's work to influence your work and i think that is where wordpress is a great tool for many people who are uh, across different skill sets because you can do that customization as you need to see it fit or potentially maybe you don't need all that and you get a lot out of the box for free
0: yeah great points um well let's move to uh WP GraphQL, like, all right, what is WP GraphQL and how does it differ from like traditional APIs from WordPress?
1: Yeah. So, so typically when you think of WordPress uh, being a content management system, it's what the word monolithic is thrown around a lot. So it, it does everything, right? It's one piece of software that does the content management, but it also does the presentation of the website for you. It has a template system and all this stuff, right? So it's monolithic, meaning one big application and uh uh, a lot of organizations find themselves you know investing in training folks that produce content and they want them to continue using wordpress because that's a big cost right like i i used to work for a newspaper publisher and we had hundreds of people trained to publish content in wordpress so switching off of that would be a massive investment but the front end all like the what's present what's presenting the content on the front end WordPress doesn't always make sense to do that. Like uh, we had native iOS and Android apps, for example, and you're not running PHP on phones. So like having a WordPress template as an iOS app doesn't make sense. So you need to get the data from the CMS. So we have the folks trained to publish content, but we need it for the web of course, but also for native iOS and Android apps, but also for print. Like it's a web first world, right? We're publishing stories on the web and then preparing it to print. So uh, having, having access to the data outside of how it's rendered for the web was an important thing. So um, WordPress has a REST API, which is uh, REST APIs are uh, like an endpoint per resource is kind of how it works. So you would hit an endpoint like, you know, your WordPress site slash posts and you would get a list of posts or slash post ID one, you know, and that would give you an individual post. Um, so WordPress has that uh a RESTful API built into it since I think 2015. Um and we use that when I, w- I was working in a newspaper, like I said, and we were using that pretty heavily, but we ran into a lot of problems um trying to scale it. And mm. that's largely because if you, if you think of even just like an individual newspaper article, right? That's a lot of resources to make one article. You have like uh, an image, which is a separate resource. You have the author who wrote the article, which is a separate resource. You have mm. the categories and tags that it's categorized in. You possibly have image galleries, which are another list of resources. You have comments maybe on the article, which are different resources. So just to publish one article page, you're talking like lots of resources and hitting an uh, an API for each of these resources. Uh, typically, RESTful APIs We'll give you a full resource and then IDs to related resources. And so you have to wait for the first resource to come back, get the IDs, make references back to the other resources, sometimes get IDs to other resources. And so you're making this, like, what they call maybe callback hell, right? Like, um, And so, like, we, we were using REST APIs to do stuff, like I said, our native iOS and Android apps, but also to, like, syndicate content to other We had a network of like 50 something newspapers across the U.S. and you know so if if Denver Post for example published an article about you know the Broncos winning the Super Bowl or whatever uh, then you know maybe some other cities wanted to subscribe to that news and so we were sending data from one side to another or pulling it from one side to another so those systems were getting pretty complicated to scale using the resource-based APIs and so around that time, GraphQL was open sourced by Facebook. When I was working at the newspaper, and I was like, oh, this looks like it might solve some of our problems." Because um, GraphQL, you can uh, you can build it in a way where you can consume multiple resources in one request. And I was like, "That that would solve at least some developer problems, right? Like of us consuming all these APIs and having to wire it together on our end as the consumer. So if we could do it on the server, and then." Each of our applications could specify what exactly they need. Our iOS app could ask for exactly what it needs in a request where it makes sense. Um, So, so I started tinkering with it and you know proving it to some of my colleagues, and then we went ahead in production with it. uh, Not not too much later, and replacing most of our REST API usage. Um, So that's kind of like the story of it. But uh, yeah, so GraphQL differs from REST in that you can it's a type based system, so everything in your in your application is described as a type. So a post, for example, in WordPress would be an object in GraphQL, an object type, and it would have fields like the title and the date, and then it can have what's called connections to other types in the graph, right? So a post can have a connection to author and images and categories and tags. And so as the consumer, the person building the iOS app, for example, they can write a query, a GraphQL query, And they specify exactly what fields they want to be returned. And so the client has full control over what they get. And they can do a lot of, you know, connected resources in a single request. Um, And so from a client perspective, like the consumer getting the data, it usually is a much more pleasant experience. And when things go wrong, which it's software, things will go wrong with REST, you just know something on that endpoint went wrong. And there could be a thousand fields on that endpoint. It can be a little tricky to debug sometimes. With GraphQL, mm-hmm. since you specify exactly what fields you need, it can be a little bit easier to identify when something goes wrong. Oh, it's that exact field. And you can start doing things like tracking how fast each field responds and things like that and start figuring out, like, the granular details of your application. So it solves a lot of problems, I think. And, uh, yeah, hopefully that <laughs> covers it.
0: I like that a lot, actually. Good explanation of it, and I mean, it makes a ton of sense. It's a similar thing with anything that we've seen with REST API, right? It's it's not scalable. I mean, it is. I shouldn't say it's not scalable, but it's like yeah, GraphQL has just made it so much simpler and more scalable um, and more customizable. Like right, depending on like that iOS client, that you know, Android client versus the web, it's like. You really get to choose, but use that same data set, which is huge. It's mm. funny hearing you talk about like REST even being introduced to WordPress that came, you know, like you said, like 2015 or something. Um, I was doing something similar at Evernote. The task was I was supposed to integrate um, in the Mac client, the iOS and Android and I think the web, but they wanted a lot of the content. It it wasn't like all, obviously all of Evernote's uh, content, but some of these like notifications and content was coming from WordPress and that was before rest even existed in wordpress so there was a lot of hacking um on our end to get that to work and just seeing how much it's evolved is amazing and the fact is is like well graphql didn't exist at that time but if graphql had existed it would have made it a lot simpler for each of the clients to decide really what was the information needed um so i love your explanation on that
2: i'll also add uh I love that we're talking about REST versus GraphQL, but in the context of WordPress and uh, newspaper type websites or other type websites like blogs, even Evernote and newspapers are kind of similar in the sense that it's a lot of um, unbounded content of different varieties. So you have like text, you have images, you have media, and this is supposed to flow in between the actual website itself. and so mixing these different mediums is a perfect use case for something like GraphQL because different clients can take out parts of those mediums that is more useful to that client. And in the case of um, like the New, York, the New York Times or uh, some other newspaper, when you want to make sure that your experience is performant, using something like WordPress and GraphQL is a great fit because uh, it is one request resolving many different varieties of subjects. And To have that be over REST could be, for example, 100 different REST calls. And if one of those calls fails, the REST will just kind of topple over because as Jason was saying, you don't have those connections anymore to infer on. With something like GraphQL, you have less of that performance issue where you're resolving one big batch of requests and you're not making multiple round trips between the server and the client. So in many ways, it it makes sense that GraphQL is a great fit for this type of user experience, where it allows you to really optimize your performance and tailor each client to its needs.
1: I will say there are trade-offs, right? Like, um, so REST, when we talk about REST not being scalable, quote, unquote, it it is obviously, and we know it is, but it can be frustrating for sure. But uh, what one upside REST has is that since it is resource-based, it's easier to cache, right? So like, if you have an endpoint for one object, well, whenever that object changes, it's easy to invalidate that endpoint. So GraphQL being an open one endpoint to access everything, like that's a lot more difficult to cache, right? It's like, oh this is tricky. So there are trade-offs to stuff like that. We do have solutions though. Like I, I maintain a plugin called WP GraphQL Smart Cache, which you can add on to WP GraphQL. Um, and then, a lot, like my host, the, my employer, WP Engine, we, we support like edge caching for GraphQL requests. So you can you can query whatever you want, whether it's posts or users or taxonomy terms or images or whatever you want. And Smart Cache plugin, what it does, it, it tracks those IDs and it tag, it sends back had, headers in the request, or sorry, in the API response, it sends back headers that identify what was asked for in the request and what was resolved. And then that can be tagged in the cache And then it listens for events in WordPress, like editing a post or publishing a new post or deleting a post. And then it can purge any GraphQL query response from the cache if it was impacted by the action. So it it brings back some of the benefits of caching a REST API, but you get the benefit of the flexibility of GraphQL. So it it brings back some of the stuff that if you research like caching GraphQL, you'll read a lot of arguments on like, oh, you can't cache it, whatever. It's more difficult, but there are solutions, and we at least have provided some on our side. So, uh, yeah.
0: And Jason, my assumption there, too, the fact that it is a plugin, is it's probably pretty straightforward to integrate into WordPress. Am I wrong to say that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's free on the WordPress.org repository. Just search WP GraphQL. You can activate it, and then immediately... What happens when you activate it? You get a the graphical IDE. If you've ever used GraphQL, you probably have played with the graphical IDE. So it's just an IDE where you put a query on the left side and you click the execute button and you get the response on the right side. So you get that in the WordPress admin to start playing with, uh, but then you just get a GraphQL endpoint and then it's up to you to do something with the data, right? Like it it provides the API for you, but it doesn't, it doesn't do anything with it, right? It, it lets you do something with it. So it's a, it's really a developer tool uh, more than like a lot of WordPress plugins are like you do some, you know, it's like a, it adds some UI where you can drag and drop something or whatever. And this just adds a way for you to access data in a, in a different way.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, I love that because Thinking about my experiences with WordPress, I always remember installing plugins and it was never just like plug and play. You install a plugin and you spend hours tinkering with the settings, making sure it matches your environment or the different needs that you have. But even just reading the documentation and hearing what you're describing, Jason, WP GraphQL is well-documented. It handles a lot of use cases like all of the different entity types that you have to select from. I'm even seeing it handles Authentication and authorization, debugging, and so to just have a solution that you plug and play, and you can actually get started to use it. I think a lot of developers listening to this can consider WordPress and WP GraphQL as something that they can just get started with and start building with. Versus, here's another plugin. Here's yet another solution that might even like lock them in.
1: Yeah, I I think one of the one of the most common use cases we're having like of users right now is. So I, I came from a unique story, like in the newspaper, where you're syndicating data and doing all sorts of weird stuff. I don't think that's like the common use of GraphQL. Like, um, but the, the more common, like with frameworks like Next becoming, you know, on the rise, it's already popular, but it continues to get more popular. Um, and then, you know, you have your Svelte and, you know, Nuxt with Vue and all these all these frameworks, everybody wants to build stuff in JavaScript. And components, right? Components make sense to, I think, a lot of people's brains, right? And, uh, and especially if you're on big teams working on big projects, it's, it's like having one component that can do everything it needs to do. Usually that would include styles, markup and, you know, interactivity all in one component. Uh, so a lot of folks are trying to build component based websites or applications. And, uh, so GraphQL lends to that very nicely. Um, we we have a framework like I mentioned at WP Engine, it's called Faust.js. You go to FaustJS.org, so that's F-A-U-S-T. Um but it's a it's like what we call like a meta framework built on Next. And it allows you to build Next sites, but it it and it works with WP GraphQL, but it does a lot of cool stuff that you lose when you go headless with WordPress. So Word, WordPress has um like the template system built into it, but it's all PHP based, right? And so, for folks that do want to take advantage of like component-based architectures, they can build their React components, couple it with a GraphQL query, or what what's called a fragment in GraphQL. You can specify like just the fields that this component needs, and and then you can write your markup and your styles or your Tailwind classes or whatever you, whatever you're doing, and then you can you know bring those components in with other components, and then. GraphQL goes and gets the data for all of your components at once. So it's a pretty, pretty cool experience for folks. But I I think that's the most common use case is folks building component based front ends right now. And I, I think it lends very perfectly to that.
0: I'd also be curious, like we'd mentioned that, yeah, it's a plugin. So that's awesome. It sounds like you can integrate fairly easily can like existing, like blog sites or whatever, like someone using WordPress for five years and like, they have a lot of data, is it hard to integrate? Like, do they have to do something different or is it pretty much like, well, wow, you have all this data and now you're just going to be accessing it a little bit differently?
1: Yeah. So I, I would say it would depend, right? Like if you're a, it is a developer tool, right? Um, so if you're not comfortable interacting with APIs or making fetch requests to get data from an API, there, there's going to be a learning curve right? Um, a uh, lot of folks are coming from the javascript ecosystem and previously maybe have said no to wordpress based projects but now they can say oh i don't i don't have to be a php expert right i can i can set up a couple plugins and i can get the data out into javascript component architecture with probably not having to write much or any php there's going to be cases depending on how custom your project is like you you're probably going to have to extend it and might have to know some PHP or get somebody who does to help you or whatever. But there's a lot of folks that can, can write 100% JavaScript and be very successful using it now. So you don't have to be a PHP or WordPress expert in, in every case. So, But it, but it is very much a developer tool. Like the small business owner who just wants to click and drag and drop stuff, it's probably not for them. Um, will it be maybe someday? Maybe maybe under the hood it'll be used by tools that do that right like you know page builder type of tools that are built using components that have graphql you know associated with it but the business owner themselves probably wouldn't be the one using graphql unless they're a very tech savvy person
2: i have a question jason would you describe what we're talking about right now as sort of a server driven ui approach
1: yeah yeah i would ca- kind of i would call um i would call graphql like the, you have the front end and the back end, I like would call GraphQL like the middle end, right? It, uh, basically what it what GraphQL does, you have a schema and you describe all your types. So you say this is all the types of data that are possible. But I don't describe, like the GraphQL schema doesn't describe how the things should look. Mm. It just says, here's, here's the data that's possible. And so the front end still, the front end, whoever's building the component still ultimately decides what the UI looks like. But they can see what's possible to populate that UI with by using tools like Graphical to see what's in the schema. So a lot of uh, a lot of organizations I've seen do what's called like schema first development. So like you'll have your front end developer and your back end developer come together, or your product owner, whoever it is, they'll come together and they'll you know have a rough design and you know whatever Figma or whatever software you're using to design these days, and uh, they'll say this is what it should look like. Does the API yeah. support that already or not? If it does, cool, they can start building and you can start mocking it out, right? Like you can just populate your component with, with mock JSON data and then your backend developer can go, you know, add fields as needed to the schema to actually populate it. And then all you do is get away the mock data and put your GraphQL query in and it's working, right? So, So it's like this kind of meet in the middle approach where you say like, do we already have this data? If not, okay, back-end developer, you need to go add that support front-end developer. You just need to make sure this this shape of data works with your components, right?
0: Jason, that's been huge too, right? Like that's something that we've found, um, like being at Netflix, that was something we're using a lot of GraphQL. And that was something that was really beneficial in that, like, let's build those contracts between back-end and front-end and being able to, you know, agree upon that and understand each other, what you need to do. And you can kind of go off and create what you need to create. And as long as you've followed that, it, it works really well. And so I've seen a lot of benefits to like almost, uh, you know, productivity gains where you can actually collaborate a lot easier between the back end and front end. So I'm, I'm glad you called that out. Cause I think that is a true benefit.
1: Yeah. And, and what, well, like what I mentioned, we have a lot of JavaScript uh, developers that are, you know, attracted to this, um, and you mentioned Cole earlier, maybe before we started recording, but Advanced Custom Fields you would used in the past, um, and that's a very popular plugin which my employer also owns. WP Engine owns Advanced Custom Fields, so <laughs> I'll, I'll, we'll go ahead and talk about that too. But, but if, so Advanced Custom Fields are a really cool plugin with um, WordPress where you can you can create what's called field groups, so you can define field groups that had, you know text field or email fields or whatever text area fields or image upload or gallery field, like all sorts of different types of fields. And you can just with clicking buttons without having to no know PHP, you can build UIs in WordPress for how to manage different types of content. And recently, probably since you've used it, they added the ability to register post types and taxonomies through advanced custom fields as well. So like WordPress has posts and pages out of the box, right? As But if you want other things, which most sites need other things, right? Like, houses or cars or, you know, products or, you know, whatever shoes or whatever you're managing, you know, uh, advanced custom fields allows you to say like, ooh, I wanna manage cars or I wanna manage houses or I wanna use WordPress to manage X, Y, or Z, other type of data. So you can add those types just by clicking a few buttons. And now i maintain maintained WP GraphQL for ACF, uh, which, which ties the two together. So you can have WP GraphQL and then it figures out what fields you have via advanced custom fields and it brings support to the GraphQL schema as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's a pretty cool experience. So you can, uh, with GraphQL, you can have like these fragments, like I mentioned, which are like pieces of a query. So like if you had, I don't know, a restaurant for example, and you needed to have lists of types of food, you could add support for managing food via advanced custom fields. And then you could add your fields that you need, like a price and a picture and The calories or whatever it is you know that you need to put in there the ingredients and then just just by clicking some buttons and then you could go see that in graphical and you know and consume it with graphql so javascript developer can do all this without having to know any php Mm -hmm. and then they could go build their front end with components using GraphQL fragments to say like oh i have a component that shows a list of ingredients right and it has a fragment that knows how to query for a list of ingredients on a food type in the graph. And so, you know, so you can start piecing all this stuff together without any code. So like WordPress is getting to a point where it's a low code headless CMS, right? So you as a front end developer can, can do your front end work. You still need to be a developer on that side, at least right now. I don't know of any tools at the moment that would allow you to be completely point and click yet to do both sides, but. Yeah. I mean, supposedly
2: there are tools where AI can generate from web applications, but I'm I'm still skeptical as you are, Jason. I do love what you're saying, though, in terms of the plug and play nature of all these tools, because you already have a great platform like WordPress, which can do so much. And a lot of developers who are listening to this have used WordPress. And so now it's great to know that they can just add on these plug and play tools like WP GraphQL, Advanced Custom Fields. JS to get an even bigger, more richer platform. And I love how we're talking about even just like schema first development, because as Ryan was saying at Netflix, that's how we've gotten back-end engineers and front-end engineers to speak the same language. But as you're describing the ways in which these APIs just unblock you, you don't even need to be a PHP expert. You can work in the languages that you're comfortable with and evolve your platform with these plug and play tools to do even so much more. And I love that. I think like for a lot of people figuring out where to start or how to build that next website that's even more richer tools like this could really help.
0: Yeah. I also like that you've brought up the front end aspect of it too because you're not necessarily having to learn how to build a full back end for someone. Like say if you're just building like a, for a client or whatever that may be and and you don't have the resources to have a dedicated back end engineer. Something like WordPress gives you so much control and then also on the admin side for that, you know, client that's like, I need to add, you know, different shoes to my website, or, you know, restaurant needs to add different types of uh, things available to the, for customer to order. And it's like, they can do that. They have that control. They don't care like about the technology side. They just want to be able to, you know, be flexible on that. But then you, if you're the front end engineer, you're like, yeah, that's taken care of for me. And then I can really focus on, you know, scaling out the front end, making it a little more custom for that client. I gotta love that. It's, it's really taking the tooling to that next level.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, some, some of the upsides too, like I mentioned, part of the reason we even started it was some of our frustrations with rest and like when, when things went wrong, not knowing what was going wrong. I think that's a big part too, especially like a component based development these days, when, when something in your application fails, you don't want to know just like, Hey, your application is failing. You're like, well, what part specifically, right? Like the, that makes your job easier if you know exactly what is failing. And so being able to like break down things to the component level or components as for specific things. And, and then GraphQL returns exactly what you ask for when something does go wrong. In my opinion, it's a lot easier to troubleshoot and identify it and fix it. Um, so, for the front-end developer who maybe isn't a WordPress expert, stuff will go wrong. Like, that's just software that, the, you know, there could be a plug-in update that breaks something. Like, it could be WP GraphQL plugin update or it could be another plugin update, you know. So, like, something is going to go wrong at some point. But if you're if everything is broken down to individual components, it often is easier, in my opinion, to, to identify what it is and get to re- resolution quicker. Also, even just to
2: pull back to something you said earlier, Jason, is that almost half the internet is running on WordPress. So yeah. if something does go wrong, chances are you're going to be able to yes. find out where it went wrong for somebody else. Yes. And I think back to my experience with WordPress, and as soon as you start to become more custom, um, back in the day, you used to run into a wall. But with tools that you're describing today, it sounds like these are paved paths that help yeah. users almost coalesce to each other's use cases. But I also think about like even the maturity of some of this stuff where... You know, I think to the past where I was encouraged not to use WordPress because um, people I was working for were afraid that my software would look like someone else's software and they'd be able to attack my software. But what you're saying is no, it's matured to such a point where there is clarity, there is observability into some of these issues. And by componentizing our software development, it makes everything reusable. It makes things more predictable. And I love that. I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of, um, we have, I don't know if I can share any of their sites, but there's a customer that uses uh, WP GraphQL and they build headless Nuxt sites, which is like the Vue version of Next.js, right? And they're, they have a bunch of Webby Awards for like, they're like these super creative, like, almost makes you think of like the Flash days where everything was animated and stuff's moving and, you know, like, you would never ever guess that they are WordPress sites. You know what I mean? Like they're completely custom, but all the data is the people publishing the content still want to use a CMS they're familiar with, right? They don't want to get trained on some new system, but the front end looks completely different than anything you've ever seen, you know? So...
0: I love that you just called that out, Jason, like it is that too, is because so many people are using WordPress, they may have like from the publisher side of things, they're used to that, they're used to that editor, having to learn a new tool is frustrating. And also if you want to completely overhaul the site and make it more interactive or do something that doesn't change for the admin side of things, that doesn't change for them publishing that's just data that continually gets yes. published, but you can completely overhaul and change things from the developer perspective and what the user actually views, but that data doesn't change. And I think that is really cool to call that out. I think just wanted to highlight that.
1: Yeah. One. Uh, speaking of that, I, the concept of having like multiple front ends for the same back end like, uh, like when I rebuilt my front end for wpgraphkill.com, for example, at one point I was just on a traditional WordPress site cause I needed something up fast, right? So I was like, I, I'm a API, but I'm, I'm just gonna build in a monolithic WordPress. But on the side, I started building a front end. At the time I was working at Gatsby. Uh, um, and so we were building headless front end in Gatsby, which pulled in data. So I could have my traditional WordPress site rendering on the side I'm building a Gatsby site that's pulling in data from my WordPress. And then when I'm ready, I just flip the DNS, right? Like I can have two sites rendering the same data Um, and then when I decide to change from Gatsby to next, same thing, my Gatsby side is still being served to users. I start building on the side, my next site, right. I'm not changing a single thing with how I publish my work, you know? So like my WordPress CMS is unchanged. Normally, like if you're going to do a rebranding for a site running on WordPress, it's a chore. You got to like, typically you migrate the whole database somewhere else. You activate a new theme, you know, you do all this work and like, And then there's some day where you're like, hey, guys, don't log in for 12 hours, right? We got to do a content freeze while we switch everything over. It's like, you don't have to do that anymore. Like, you you know, to the second you change the DNS, people could still be logged in publishing content. And your front end developers are just building their components over here. And when they're ready, just flip it, you know, from pointing the front end to WordPress to pointing to a next site or a Svelte site or whatever you're building in.
0: Yeah, I think it also makes it a little bit easier for managing data across environments too. Like if you have a like local environment, test environment, staging, whatever, all the different environments, it does make it easier. I absolutely remember having to change uh, plugins or themes or completely overhaul a WordPress site. And you're dealing with people that are still, they're not stopping their job, right? Like you're doing this, trying to do it behind the scenes, and you're right. It was not necessarily easy to do that. It wasn't the hardest thing because there are ways in which, like, yeah. you can develop a theme and just like switch the theme, and and it, you know, as long as everything works, it it was pretty seamless. But I'm a hundred percent with you is that if you can abstract that even more, it makes it that much simpler, and just, you know, you don't have to have those down times because. Businesses don't want downtime. Yeah. They, they're like, no, I want to keep going. And also, as a developer, you don't want to go, oh, well, I could do it on the weekend or I can do it late at night yeah, in the yeah, evening yeah. because no one's working. That sucks too. Like that, both can, scenarios don't work that well. Yeah.
1: Another cool thing too that we've been seeing in like the JavaScript front end ecosystem is like, uh, like Vercel, for example. If you deploy something to Vercel, like it'll deploy every time you open a pull request to your code base, right? And then what's cool is you can go look at that preview URL like that. You can look at your website at that state. So like you can have like two different PRs, like one changes your site from blue to purple and you can look at your blue site and your purple site or whatever. And then you can do cool stuff like, you know, add comments to individual pages and stuff like that. So it's like, there's some really cool stuff that you can do that, uh, like normal WordPress, you can't look at what your site looked like yesterday or the day before. Right. But like, these headless run-ins are building static assets of your site at a given point in time. And uh, so it's pretty cool. It's like time travel through your website development. Um, And yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I think it's so
2: funny because we're basically almost describing the way in which technology is cyclical. And I feel like that's a theme on this podcast, but uh, in this sense, WordPress created a development model that these technologies like GraphQL came uh, back around and made better and wordpress is reaping the benefits of this uh, iteration and innovation because now separation of concerns is becoming better and when it becomes better developers no longer have to proliferate their changes throughout one code base you know you have your headless cms over here you have your api over there and that separation of concerns as you're describing jason makes things more reusable Um, and what I love most about this, and maybe I'm just kind of getting caught up in the moment, but, um, it really democratizes development in my opinion. It enables developers of all range of skill to come in and start with WordPress, add an API with WP GraphQL. And then to build their front end in such a way that you don't have to be a WordPress expert anymore. You can be a front end expert, you can be an API expert, or you can be a WordPress expert. And I just think, you know, it's cool to see how technology continues to improve on itself.
1: Yeah. yeah and it, what, it like you said, six, stuff is cyclical, too. I think, like, CMS is, like, web used to be fairly static, right? It was, like, HTML pages that you would upload, like, via FTP. And, like, if you want to make a change, you had to go, like, change the HTML and upload a new file. And or open so, Dreamweaver. Yeah. And so, like like, the performance was probably pretty good right it was like these static files that you know there wasn't server logic in between it was just like here's your file man like so now but the cms is like oh that's hard like we need to solve that but then at at the cost of okay now it's dynamic now the server's taking a hit every time people load your page so then there's like caching that got figured out and whatever but uh but now we're back to static we're like a very popular way to build sites with next for example is to output static files so when you're user hits, they're getting a, a static asset from Cloudflare or whatever, and there's no server being hit, right? And so we're back to that point, like uh where you can use a CMS though, but like WPGraphQL.com, for example, is all static. Like you're getting, you know, 50, 60 millisecond responses or whatever. It's not hitting a WordPress server. All my data or a chunk of my data is in WordPress. I have multiple data sources. Like I pulled some of my docs from Markdown files in GitHub, but then like my marketing pages and like blog posts are in WordPress. So it's like multiple data sources come together and make one unified front end. And that's another cool part about like APIs and components and stuff. But but uh but so we're back to that point in web development where like it's a static file that the user is getting served, like twenty years ago. But there's the dynamic nature. I can go hit publish in WordPress, it invalidates Next cache next rebuilds the page on demand and creates a new static file. So my users are always getting that static response, you know, fifty second millisecond you know, or fifty millisecond responses, but they're seeing up to date data. You know, so I could go publish a new post and you'd be able to see it within a couple seconds. Uh, but the file static, right? So it's a it's a really cool like stuff is cyclical, but we're coming up with new solutions to get to the same end result that we used to have. I love it.
0: Yeah, it's so great. I mean, I love going down this journey and just like learning the updates on WordPress because it has changed significantly and and quite frankly, made it a lot better for developers and end users. Uh, I'm curious as we, before we dive into our picks, I'm, I'm curious to know, like, what are some advice that you would give someone wanting to leverage uh, WP GraphQL? Um, how would they get started, you know, what are things that they can maybe avoid making mistakes with?
1: Um, yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, like like anything, there's there's trade-offs with any technology, right? So, like like we mentioned, one of the one of the benefits of GraphQL is being able to fetch multiple resources in one request, right? But there's a cost to that too, right? It's not it's not magic, right? That it's the server still has to get these resources and put it. So there is a tipping point, and it's not. It's not the same for everybody. It depends on your other plugins you have and you know what type of data you're asking for. But there is a tipping point when asking for too much data is too much data, right? Like uh so so be cautious. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? So like at some point you probably still should break up your GraphQL requests into multiple requests. Uh not al- not always. It doesn't mean like every time you fetch two resources it should be two queries. Like that's not the case, but You shouldn't be querying for like 500,000 posts with their authors and their terms and their comments, like all in one payload. That doesn't make any sense, right? So use use your brain a little bit too and just be like, would I do this outside of GraphQL? Would this make sense outside of GraphQL? Right? And if not, then it might not make sense in GraphQL too. It might be easier to do, but you maybe shouldn't do it too. Um, So there's things like that to consider. Also with like cache and validation, like we have solutions for cache and validation, but the more data that you query, the more actions will be tied in validating that data too. So, like having a balance of like getting the data you need, but also what what data does the user need, right? Does the user actually need a thousand posts on the blog? Probably not. Like maybe twenty, and then when they scroll, maybe a load more button or you know infinite scroll or something. You know, so be just be smart. Like just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. So th- th- those are some things you should uh, think about. There are plugins for like I said, like there's, you know, caching plugin, there's the GraphQL plugin for ACF, there's uh, all sorts of different stuff, but WordPress is massive. There's, you know, thousands of WordPress plugins that do lots of unique things in WordPress. And so there's definitely not coverage for everything out there. So if you need X, Y, or Z functionality, the counterpart in GraphQL might not exist yet. So you might have to roll up your sleeves and and make a WordPress plugin work with the GraphQL API. So that, and that's true with even with like the rest API too, or, or anything else. Um, you might have to do some custom work or find someone who can help you do it. Um, but uh, so there, there's things like that. You do lose some things. Like I mentioned, like WordPress does have a, the whole template layer to it. If you're building sites in traditional WordPress, if you go with react or some other technology, you have to do a lot of that yourself, right? Like, uh, so Faust, we, we try and help with that. I would encourage you to check it out if you are building stuff in next, like we do things like, it, like at the center of WordPress, whenever you visit a URL, WordPress knows how to translate that URL to figure out what type of thing it is and return a template that matches that thing, right? Like if you visit a user profile, like on a newspaper, you see a list of posts written by that user. So WordPress knows that that URL represents a user and should load a template of users posts right or if you visit the homepage it knows to load the homepage template so faust like we have a we have a templating system that works very similar to wordpress core so you can you can build templates based on the url that you visit faust knows how to talk to graphql to figure out what data it is and then what templates should match and then so you can just in next provide templates that match and whichever one matches first it will load very similar to wordpress so a lot of stuff like that headless developers are trying to figure out on their own. And we're trying to centralize some of that, like the stuff that you lose by decoupling WordPress, we're giving it back to you, but allowing you to take advantage of cool stuff like components that you can't do in, uh, you know, traditional WordPress. So I love that.
0: Yeah, I think also one thing I would add to maybe not so much for WP um, GraphQL as a best advice, but you, you mentioned plugins. We've actually mentioned it quite a few times in this episode is one thing I've learned over the years is use them sparingly. Like there is so many plugins out there and you can go and add way too many plugins. I've had clients that, you know, want everything and everything that can be customizable. And, you know, it just adds more, complexity that you may not need so that's just one piece of advice i would share
2: i would just say after listening to this episode if you're not sure where to start check out the documentation because i was looking at i've used wordpress before but i was looking at the documentation for wp graphql and it is comprehensive and it's presented in a way that i think any developer can pick up and so um i always recommend starting off with documentation or examples and there are plenty we just launched a new site
1: last week for the ACF extension too. So acf.wpgraphkill.com still some stuff in progress in there, but it's a, for that particular extension, it's even more comprehensive for just that one plugin.
0: All right. Well, that's a good time for us to jump into picks in each episode of the front end happy hour podcast. We like to share picks of things that we found interesting want to share with all of you, Cole, you want to start us off?
2: Sure, today I have two picks. My first pick is Costco's Kirkland peanut butter pretzels, which are ironically in my background right now. Um and they're very good for when you need a snack and I just you'll see this kind of disappear over the day. Uh my second pick is I recently moved and my house doesn't have any forced air at the moment and so I've picked up one of these CO2 sensors from Airnet. And as you can see right now, even just in this episode, I'm in the yellow territory. This is where you start to get a little bit like lightheaded, a little bit like you've just exercised. And so this is a great sensor for reminding me when I need to open a window or go on a walk after uh, all day sitting in virtual meetings.
0: Right on. Jason, what do you have for us?
1: Oh man, I I don't think I came prepared for this. I'll go. I'll say uh, Stream Deck. So Elgato Stream Deck. I have uh, this little tool, so I can do. Uh, it's got buttons, you know, that I can press. so I can do things like control my lights or whatever, you know, straight from here. Um, so I can configure shortcuts and stuff to do things like that. I can even turn on lights in other rooms and stuff like that, just uh, from here. Or like control zoom settings or whatever. So we'll we'll go with that. Ooh, yeah, no, nice. that's a
0: good one. I, I definitely leverage that one, especially in meetings and things like that too. You can have like raising hand or mute, unmute. Like there's, is really customizable for what you want to do with it, which is pretty cool. And actually having physical buttons is great. So that's a good one. I just have one pick for this episode. I have obviously been doing a lot of photography for years on my own. I love seeing my kids get into it. And so I purchased, two cameras for one for each of my kids. Uh, it's just like a small point and shoot camera. It's not an expensive one at all, um, but it's been really cool to see them just like using them. They're shooting video, they're taking photos and you know, it's just it's been a really cool thing. So if people have kids uh, want a cheap uh, point and shoot that works well, uh, I will link that in the show notes, but it's it's been a cool one to try out. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. This was amazing. I love uh, taking us. Thank you for taking us down the journey of WordPress press and WP GraphQL. It's been great to learn a lot on that. Where can people get in touch with you?
1: Yeah. So WPGraphQL.com, of course, uh, like Cole mentioned, that's where the docs and everything are. I'm on Twitter at WPGraphQL or at Jason Ball, J-A-S-O-N-B-A-H-L. Uh, so you find me on or X.com, I guess. I still call it Twitter. What's the agreement? Uh, do we call it Twitter? still? I still call it Twitter. We call it huh. Twitter.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah. No one Actually, knows what X is. I call it
1: Twitter until
2: I'm not calling it at all anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's <right>. fair.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then uh, if it, on the WP GraphQL website, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, we have a link to a Slack community. So you can join that from that link. Uh, we have, I don't know, 3,000 or something people in there uh, helping each other out, you know, building stuff with WP GraphQL also. And I'm pretty active in there.
0: That's awesome. I love when there's a community around like any certain technology because you learn a lot from one another and can get that help, which is great. You can find Front End Happy Hour at frontendhappyhour.com. We are now on YouTube. We are recording these videos, which is great for our episodes. Uh, So you can find us uh, on YouTube at FrontEndHH, on Twitter. Yes, Twitter at FrontEndHH. Any last words?
1: I'm on YouTube too. I forgot that. Uh, So just search WP GraphQL on there too. Why are we not on TikTok?
0: (laughs) Yeah. TikTok might need to be the next thing, Cole. That is like probably the next thing that we need to be doing.
2: I feel like TikTok is the new Twitter. At least I'm seeing a lot of tech start to um, proliferate there.